Welcome to this special series of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast, hosted by me, Christina Simmons, your guide for this online retreat designed to help you become the saint God created you to be, especially during this Lenten and Easter season. This retreat will consist of material from the spiritual classic, 12 Steps to Holiness and Salvation, that contains the wisdom of St. Alphonsus Liguori, as well as a brief reflection and a daily resolution that is designed to help you incorporate and live out that wisdom in your daily life. So join with me now as we take the next step on the road towards holiness. Welcome to day 12. We begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and minds so that we may hear your voice and be given the courage to act upon it throughout this day. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, our section in chapter 2 is entitled, Motives for Our Hope. And similar to Proofs for Faith, uh, St. Alphonsus gives us a lot of reasons why we need to be hopeful. So it's a little longer section, but it's not going to be anywhere near as long as proofs of faith were, but I'm going to get right into it. So we begin, motives for our hope. As to the motives on which our hope should rest, the first we find in the promises made by God. On nearly every page of Holy Scripture, we find reasons for hoping in the Lord. We read there that God promises eternal salvation and the means to attain it to those who believe and pray. All things whatsoever you ask when you pray, believe that you shall receive, and they shall come unto you. Mark 11.24 Everyone that asketh receiveth. From Matthew 7.8 The Lord is the protection of all that trust in him. From Psalm 17.31 My children, behold the generations of men, and know ye that no one hath hoped in the Lord and hath been confounded. From Ecclesiastes 2.11 None of them that wait on thee shall be confounded. In Psalm 24.3 In thee, O Lord, have I hoped. I shall not be confounded forever. Psalm 71 Because he trusts in me, I will deliver him, and I will glorify him. From Psalm 90 Amen, amen, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. John 16.23 there are countless other promises are made to all men without exception. Heaven and earth shall pass away, as Scripture says, but the words and promises of God shall not pass away. Let us, therefore, in the words of the Apostle, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that hath promised. The second motive of our hope is the sincere desire of our Lord to make us happy. God loves all his creatures. Thou loveth all things that are, and hateth none of the things which thou hast made. From Wisdom, <clears throat> chapter eleven, twenty-five. But every love, says St. Augustine, possesses an active force and cannot remain idle. Consequently, love contains in its very essence the idea of benevolence, and one who loves cannot but do good to the object of his love, if it is at all possible for him. Love, says Aristotle, endeavors to accomplish what it considers good for the object loved. If, therefore, God loves all men, he must also desire that all men attain eternal happiness. For this is the highest and only good of man, 
since it is the end for which man was created. You have your fruit unto sanctification, and the end life everlasting. Romans six twenty two. Calvin was guilty of a horrible blasphemy when he said that God had created some men only to cast them into hell. He even dared to assert that God forces men to sin in order that they may be damned. God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. From 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He declares that he wishes for the conversion and salvation even of the ungodly who have deserved eternal death. As I live, saith the Lord God, I desire not the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Ezekiel 33.11 Tertullian calls attention to the fact that in using the words, As I live, the Lord pronounces an oath in order that we might believe him without hesitation. It is therefore a matter of great surprise to the learned Petuvius that anyone could call this truth into question. If an attempt is made, says he, to misconstrue so clear a text of sacred scripture, which God even confirms with an oath, what is there left in matters of faith that is safe from the falsifiers? But why does God so ardently desire the salvation of all men? Simply because he has created them from love, and he has loved them from all eternity. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore have I drawn thee, taking pity on thee. Jeremiah 31, 3. We read in the epistle of St. Peter that the Lord, knowing the weakness of man, has patience with the sinner and does not wish him to be lost, but wishes for him to do penance and be saved. The Lord dealeth patiently for your sake, not willing that any should perish, but that all should return to penance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. In short, God desires to save all men, and if there are some unhappy creatures who force him by their sins to condemn them, he speaks to them, as it were, in tears of compassion, and says, Why will you die, O house of Israel? Convert and live. Why will you be lost, my children, and condemn yourselves to eternal perdition? If you have been so unhappy as to leave me, return to me now, repentant, and I will restore to you the life you have lost. Judge for yourself then, Christian soul, if it be not true that God desires your eternal salvation. For the future, therefore, never give expression to such sentiments as, Who knows? Perhaps God does not wish me to be saved. Perhaps on account of my offenses, he desires me to be lost forever. Such thoughts you must banish from your mind, as it must now be evident to you that God assists you with his grace and urgently invites you to his love. As a third and powerful motive for hope in God, we have the merits of Jesus Christ. Long before our Savior had appeared on earth, the royal psalmist David placed all his hope in him. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, the God of truth. How much more, therefore, ought we to place our confidence in Jesus now that he has come and accomplished the work of our redemption? Full of trust and assurance, we ought to repeat with the royal psalmist, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, the God of truth. Thou art faithful to thy promises. If on account of our sins we have good reason to fear eternal death, we have still stronger motives for hope of eternal life in the merits of Jesus Christ, 
which are incomparably more powerful to save than our sins are to destroy us. By our sins we have deserved eternal death, but our Redeemer has come to our assistance, says the prophet Isaiah, and taken upon himself our debts in order to make satisfaction for them by his sufferings. He hath borne our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Isaiah 53:4. At that unhappy moment when we committed sin, God wrote the sentence of our eternal doom. But what has Jesus Christ accomplished? He has taken this sentence of condemnation, as the apostle says, fastened it to the cross, and blotted it out with his precious blood. We can never look upon that sentence without seeing the cross on which it was destroyed, and thus our hope of forgiveness and of eternal salvation is revived, blotting out the handwriting of the decree that was against us. And he hath taken the same out of the way, fastening it to the cross. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Let us go therefore with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in seasonable aid. Hebrews chapter 4 16. The throne of grace is the cross on which our Lord was exalted in order to dispense mercy and grace to all who have recourse to him. But we must go to him at once while we have an opportunity of finding assistance. Otherwise, we may come too late and seek in vain. Let us hasten, therefore, to the cross of Christ and embrace it with unwavering confidence. We need not be frightened at the sight of our misery. In Christ we shall find riches and treasures of grace. I give thanks to my God, says the Apostle, that in all things you are made rich in him, so that nothing is wanting to you in any grace. The merits of Jesus Christ have opened to us the treasury of God by acquiring for us a right to all the graces that we can possibly desire. St. Leo says that the advantages that accrue to us through the death of Jesus Christ are far greater than the losses the devil has occasioned us by sin. St. Paul says the same, not as the offense, so also the gift. For where sin abounded, grace did more abound. Romans, Romans chapter 5 verse 15 and 20. Therefore our Savior exhorts us to hope for all graces through his infinite merits. He himself teaches us how to present our petitions to his heavenly Father. Amen, amen, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. And he that spareth not even his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how hath he not also with him given us all things? According to the apostles, therefore, God has accepted nothing, neither the forgiveness of sins, nor final perseverance, nor divine love and perfection, nor heaven itself. With him he hath given us all things. The only thing for us to do is to ask him for his graces, for the Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. Romans chapter 10 verse 12. So St. Alphonsus gives us three beautiful reasons for why it is that we have the ability to hope, to be able to um, stay rooted and steadfast in God's promises. One, because they are in Scripture. The second is because our Lord desires us to be happy. But third is because Jesus Christ himself 
earned those things for us. By his merits, we have been redeemed. And that's the biggest thing that I think we have to uh, bear in mind, is that we are to be saved. This is a beautiful, St. Alphonsus brings it up, and this will be my final point. In our world today, particularly in America, Calvin, a Protestant understanding, um, you know, this belief about the fact that some are going to go to hell because that's how God did it. He created some in order to cast them into hell. That's still around. And some people take great pride in being a part of a tradition that because of the choice that they make, um, you know, that then they are saved and others are condemned. And this is not the case. We do not know who is in hell. We know that hell exists, and this is important for us. Just because we don't know who is there doesn't mean that hell itself does not exist. Hell does exist. But God isn't going to send people to hell unless they choose it. And then he will gladly do so because that is what they have chosen. He wants us to be happy, so therefore he gives us what we think is going to make us happy. And if that's to be without God for all eternity, then he will respect our wishes. He will not force salvation upon us. So we need to remember this. We need to remember that regardless of how bad our sins are, we can say with the psalmist, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, the God of truth. Let us remember that throughout the day. And let us commend our spirit to our Lord, because he has redeemed us. Know of my continued prayers. God bless. See you all again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of this special series of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you think others may benefit from listening, please be sure to share the podcast with others. Until next time, know of my continued prayers that you be given whatever graces you need to do whatever it takes on the journey towards holiness so that together we can tell the master of death, not today. God bless. Thank you.